Amen. You can be seated. Amen. All right, ushers, if you'd come receive our offering, please. Give with joy and give knowing that you're investing in eternity. And as the offering's taken, I have a couple quick praises to share, kind of what's happening out there. This week, uh, the Great Exchange did four events uh, throughout spring break. They had 252 gospel conversations and 22 decisions to receive Christ. So praise God for that. Also, you guys know Brian Kluth was with us recently, and he uh, did a conference yesterday in Uganda. We helped align that up with Pastor Isaac. 800 pastors and leaders came to that conference. You guys gave $8,000 for that, which helped provide the water and the lighting system that's safe. So praise God for that. Thank you guys for your part. And uh, our New York City team, our college ministry, sent a group to New York City. They got back safe and sound last night. We'll be hearing from them next Sunday. Hey, if we can bring up a few of the house lights, please, just to give a little bit more lighting out there. And hey, welcome back college students from spring break. How many college students are here? Raise your hand. Yes. Awesome. Good to have you guys back from spring break. There's always this like hole in the audience when y'all aren't here and we don't like that. So good to have y'all. All right. Children that wish to go to children's church, you're dismissed out that door right there. Rest of you, take out your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 John. If you need a Bible today, raise your hand. Ushers, if you could bring those around. Anybody raise their hand? Uh, we'll give you a New Testament. It's yours to keep if you want. So hold up your hand. Ushers, can you help us here? Those Bibles are in the back. Anybody that needs a, just hold up your hand. We'll give you a Bible. 1 John chapter 2, that's where we are today. And by the way, remember that in this study of 1 John, we're learning what is a sign of a true believer. How do you know if somebody's a true follower of Jesus? It's not just somebody who prays a prayer it's not just somebody who professes to be a Christian, but there are certain signs that need to follow. And today we're going to see that, that one of the big signs is that they are growing. They're growing. Imagine with me, before we read the passage, that somebody's in their late 20s, but they're still drinking from a bottle, they can barely walk, and they've not graduated from the second grade. We'd go, there's a problem, right? Something's wrong. And yet, there's many supposed Christians today that exhibit some of that same stuff. There's not much growth, even though maybe 15, 20 years ago they say, well, I prayed the sinner's prayer, I joined a church, I was baptized, and yet you don't see any evidence of growth and maturity. And so today, we are going to be at a passage that is absolutely one of my favorite passages in all of God's Word, because it is a great verse on how God wants us to grow. It's a great verse on how we grow from one stage to another. It's a great passage to kind of do some good self-evaluation. Where am I at? Where am I at in this levels of growth? What is it going to take for me to go to the next level? But it's also a great passage in helping others grow, discipling others. Because what do we say? Our goal this year as a church, disciple, be one, make one. We want everybody in the church to take somebody under their wing and help them grow, to disciple other people. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations. So what do you do when you have somebody that you're helping grow, that you're discipling? Well, this passage today provides a framework for you to use in discipling others. So let's stand in respect of God's word. First John chapter 2 beginning at verse 12. 1 John 2, beginning at verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. 
I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the evil one. Holy Spirit, we welcome you now to speak and move and minister, anoint this message. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you. Father, apart from you, I can do nothing, and I just pray that you will flow and you will move, you will speak, you will challenge, you will encourage. Anybody in this room or watching online who is not born again, I pray today will be the day of salvation. Those that are saved, God, I pray that you will put in them a hunger to grow and go to the next level for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Some foundational truths before we get to the passage. God wants you to grow. If you're his child, if you're born again, he wants you to grow. The Bible says to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 3.18. The Bible says in 2 Peter 2.2, as a newborn baby longs for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 8 says, add to your faith this, and add to that this, and add to this that. God wants you and I to grow. He doesn't want us to stay complacent. He doesn't want us to stay where we are. He wants us to be growing, just like in the physical world. Plants grow and mature with time. He doesn't want that oak tree to stay this tall. He wants it to grow big and strong with deep roots. We also know that, that growth is a partnership between us and God. It's not all God, and it's not all us. It's God and us. This happened at justification, right? When you were born again, you were elected, you were predestined. I can't explain that, but it's biblical. He called you by his sovereign grace. He worked in you. He gave you the grace to believe. Even faith is a gift from God. So God's spirit was at work, but you had to respond. You had to repent of your sins, believe in Christ, surrender your life to Christ, and that's the moment you're born again, the Bible says. In the same way that justification happens and with a partnership between God and us, so does sanctification. Sanctification occurs as you and I cooperate with God. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Well, it's a mining term. You work out of that gold mine. You go into that gold mine and you work out what's already in there. God's already put it in you. You already have it. Work it out with fear and trembling. But then what's the next verse? For God is at work in us, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So it's this mysterious partnership. We have a part. God has a part. 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, it says that as we behold the glory of God, that's our part. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next by His Spirit. It's God's Spirit who works those changes, but we have a part in the equation. Also, we know that growth takes time. Don't you wish that the day after you got born again, you were all of a sudden mature and stable, and you were never going to be moved? Oh, it doesn't work that way, does it? It takes time, just like in the physical world. That oak tree got big and strong because it weathered some storms. It put its roots deep, and it took about 20 to 30 years for that oak, that oak tree to get as big as it is. And we also know that growth has seasons. There's seasons where it seems dry. The tree doesn't look like it's producing any fruit. It's the winter. 
Then you're going, man, it must be dead. Let's chop it down. No, 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 no. Just wait. Spring is on the way. Spring comes, new growth, new buds, new smells, new life, new fruit. Same in our walk with God. There'll be seasons in your life when it just feels like, man, not much is happening. It's just a dry season. But then during that season, you are continually seeking the Lord, your prayer, you're in the Word, you're staying in fellowship. God's taking your roots deep. So growth takes time. And also, growth occurs in stages. Now, this is what our passage is going to deal with today. And you may have never been exposed to a teaching like this today, but I'm telling you, it's going to help you incredibly. Because I believe that many people don't see the growth that God desires in their life because they've never understood that it occurs in stages. It's much like math. You don't start with calculus. You start with basic addition and subtraction, and then you go to other aspects of, of math, and that builds on this, and that builds on that. It's the same in our walk with God. If you do not lay the important foundation at the child level, you'll never advance to the young adult level. And if you don't do the things that we learned today at the young adult stage, you'll never advance to the adult stage. I desire, God desires every one of you to be spiritual adults. I desire so much that this church would not be a mile long and an inch deep, but we'd be a mile long and a mile deep. When I was in Uganda last summer, one of the things that Pastor Isaac said, he says, Pastor David, we need the stuff that you've written. We need the ministry that you bring from America because in Africa, we are a mile long and an inch deep. We've had evangelism. We've had people pray to receive Christ. But we need depth. We need theology. We need grounding. We need solid teaching to help people become a multiplying disciple. And that's what I desire for this church. I want this church to be a disciple-making church. I want a church where, where we do give milk, where there's, where there's milk for the new believer or the unbeliever that you can understand and you can digest. But also, we want to be a church that provides meat, a good old T-bone steak, baby that you chew into, and it's a good prime rib sometimes, and I mean, you just get in, and you just, mm, mm, mm. wow, it's grilled to perfection. You know, just a little red there in the center. So we want to be a church of milk and meat, and this passage today provides that. We're going to see three stages of growth right from this passage. Now, just so you know that that you, you might read this and go, well, wait a minute. This may just must be talking about physical children, physical fathers, physical young men that are in that group of believers that are receiving this letter. No, he's talking about spiritual stages of growth. In John Stott's excellent commentary on 1 John, he says this. He is indicating not their physical ages, in their, but their stages of spiritual development. And then he quotes from St. Augustine. Augustine said that these represent three different stages of spiritual pilgrimage, and that's what I believe this is teaching. So the first is the spiritual child. Now this is very consistent with other language we know in Scripture. Remember in John chapter 3, Jesus said, unless you're born again, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Other Scriptures talk about a person that when they first get saved, they're called a spiritual infant, a spiritual child, 1 Peter 2.2. 2. As newborn babes... That's a babe in Christ. Long for the pure spiritual milk of the word that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. There's many passages in Corinthians and Hebrews where he says, you know, you ought to be teachers by now. You ought to be eating meat, but you're still on milk. You're still a babe in Christ. So this language of a new believer being a baby, 
being an infant, being a spiritual child. It's consistent throughout Scripture. And here he says, I write to you little children. Now, there's two things that he says to the, to the spiritual child. Now listen carefully, because I am convinced that one of the reasons many people never advance beyond the spiritual child stage is they don't get these two things. They too quickly try to advance to other stuff when they don't have the good foundation. And that good foundation is this. First of all, your sins are forgiven. Now, the Greek language has an interesting way of writing things. The Greek language has an amazing way of writing verbs. And it's, very, it's much more complete in the way it expresses things than the English language. Both of these verbs, sins forgiven, their sins are forgiven, and they know the Father are both in the perfect tense. The perfect tense in the Greek language refers to an action in the past that has ongoing present effects. Both of these things were true the moment you got saved. Your sins were forgiven, we're going to talk about that, and you became a child of God and He became your Father, but it's not something that is just to happen in the past, it's to have ongoing present impact on your life today. And if you don't understand these two things, you'll never advance beyond the spiritual child stage. So first he says, look, you know your sins are forgiven. Why would he say that? Because the first experience you have when you're born again is God cleanses you of all unrighteousness. The beauty of the gospel is that he took all of your sins, past, present, and future. He shed his blood. He died and he rose again and he absorbed the wrath of God for your sin so that you and I, the moment we get saved, we are forgiven. We are declared righteous in the sight of God. We are called a saint. And if you don't know this, then go back to the message I preached two weeks ago where we talked about what it means that we are righteous in Christ. He forgives you of all your sins, past, present, and future. You are given the righteousness of Jesus. This is why you can call God Father, because you're cleansed, you're forgiven, and you're a child of God. I believe that one of the reasons many people are stunted in their spiritual growth is because they're too sin conscious versus righteousness conscious. They focus too much on what they think are sins in their life. And they're always trying to beat down those sins in their life. Listen, if you know who you are in Christ, if you accept the righteousness you have in Jesus, then sin, for the most part, takes care of itself. Because you'll realize, I want to live consistent with who I am in Christ. And it's this experience that you often hear new believers say. I hear this all the time. Somebody gets born again. And they say, David, it just feels like I feel so clean. I just feel like a backpack has been lifted off my back. Well, that's because at that moment you are forgiven. Everything you've ever done and everything you will do that displeases God, it is forgiven at that very moment. That's the good news of the gospel, folks. And so maybe you're listening, you're watching online, and you've, you've yet to give your life to Christ because you think I've done too many bad things, God would never forgive me. I'm so unworthy. I've got so many things in my life that I'm ashamed of. Listen, you bring that to the cross. He not only forgives you, but he cleanses you of all unrighteousness. You become the very righteousness of Jesus. That's what the word teaches. You're cleansed. You're forgiven. And you claim that and you walk in that for the rest of your life. It's not just, oh, I get forgiven here. But then, you know, if I do something bad in the future, then, then that's not forgiven. No, it's all forgiven. That's what righteousness means. You are in right standing with God. And the second thing he says, he says, that you know God as Father. Oh, beloved, this is so important. 
Actually, before we get to know God as Father, I want to show you something in 2 Peter chapter 1. Go one book to the left. Just one book to the left, 2 Peter 1. This is so important. It ties in so well with this. In 2 Peter 1, beginning at verse 5, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith or add to your faith. You get saved by faith, right? That's the beginning point. So he's saying add to your faith virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. Then look at verse 8. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, just like we're looking at today, he's saying, I want you to grow. And you grow in stages. You add to this, that, and you add to that, this. Then in verse 8, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind. And then what does it say? Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So what is he saying? He says, if you're not growing, go back to the starting point. You've forgotten your righteousness. You've forgotten the forgiveness you have. And so one of the reasons you're not growing is because you've forgotten the righteousness you have in Christ, which is so fundamental and key to this child stage. Then he says, you know the Father. Why would he pick that out? This is not just random things that he throws out. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is not accidental that the next thing he mentions is knowing the Father. I believe that, that many never reach this level of growth and maturity because they cannot seem to accept God as a loving and gracious and good and perfect Father. Many have had poor earthly fathers. And Satan uses that to stifle their growth. Many who have had very bad earthly father relationships wrongly project this bad image on God and view God the way they view their earthly father. I've been so blessed with a very godly earthly father. And often on Father's Day, I say to my dad, Joe Holt, thanks for making it so easy for me to see God as my father because of how wonderful you've been as my earthly father. Fathers, our role with our children is so crucial. This is why events like the Whole Heart Advance are so important. Because what we model to our children is going to have an incredible impact on their relationships with God. Jesus said, our Father who art in heaven. In Romans chapter 8, it says when you're born again, it says the Spirit of God comes into our spirit and He cries, Abba, Father. Abba could be translated Daddy that God calls us into this intimate relationship with Him. He calls us His sons and daughters. We become a child of God. He is our Father. And, and that Father is a, is a relationship of love, acceptance, strength, safety. And God wants you and I to just be secure in that relationship with Him as Father. You don't have to perform or earn His acceptance. You don't have to get on that treadmill where you think, oh, i got to perform enough for God to accept me. No, you're already accepted. You're already his child in Christ. And he wants you to rest in that, bask in that, and just be safe in that. Beloved, these are such foundational truths. Knowing your sins are forgiven, knowing God is your Father is so crucial at that child stage. This is why our transformational discipleship here We've based all of our transformational discipleship materials, module one, module two, module three, on these three stages of growth. 
Module one is grounding people at that spiritual child stage. Module two is advancing to the young adult stage. And module three is advancing even further to the adult stage. Now there's one more thing about a father that's important. What do we know from Hebrews 12? What happens when we tend to to drift or or get away from that relationship with God that he wants us to have? Because that does happen. That drifting, that, that maybe just getting out of line with his will. What does Hebrews 12 tell us he does? Because he's a loving father. He disciplines us. The Bible says he disciplines those whom he loves. If you are without discipline, you are an illegitimate child and not a true son. What's an illegitimate child? Somebody who's not truly born again, but they may claim they are. They may say with their mouth that they're a Christian, but they're an illegitimate child. They're not truly born again. And so one of the signs of a true believer is that when they stray, God out of love disciplines. And that leads to the next stage, spiritual young adult. See, now the spiritual honeymoon is kind of over. (laughs) You know, this is when you begin to get tested. And there's trials and there's hardships. And there's spiritual warfare. You know what I say to people when they're they're discipling somebody and they're in that honeymoon stage? I said, let them enjoy that. Let them just enjoy the fact that they're a child of God, their sins are forgiven. Don't be so quick to rush in and start talking about things like, now you know Satan's going to attack you. And you need to learn all about Satan and demons and angels and the the end times. They're like, no. That's for the spiritual young adult. Just let the child enjoy being a child. You parents know what this is like, right? You're not going to teach your three-month-old how to ride a bicycle. They're not ready. Just let that child enjoy the milk, the breastfeeding, the being held and, and just loved on. How much more spiritually? How much more spiritually? See, I think sometimes we try to, we try to overly advance the maturity process when we just need to follow the stages and the steps that God has designed. All right, so now we're at the spiritual young adult. And the first thing he says is they're strong. Well, how do you get strong, folks? We're not going to do an exercise class here, but just as physical strength takes exercise, so does our spiritual growth. So this is the point in your life when you begin to become more disciplined. Spending time with God in the Word and prayer, obedience, stepping out in faith to serve, using your gifts, all the things that come with just obedience and abiding in God. In order to be spiritually strong, just like in being physically strong, it takes spiritual exercise. And listen, just like in physical growth, I can exercise, but who ultimately causes my muscles to get bigger. God does. If I cut myself or break a bone, who ultimately heals me? Now, there's things I need to do with nutrition and maybe this and that and the other, but ultimately it's God who heals, right? Same in our spiritual growth. This is a perfect example of the partnership. We are to exercise. We are to be obedient. We are to be in the Word. We are to be in prayer. We are to be in fellowship. We are to be serving. We are to be giving. And there's one more thing about growth that's important. Rest. You don't always have to be doing something. How many of you slept last night? One less hour, but you slept, right? In the same way, spiritual growth sometimes just takes rest. 
Jesus told his disciples, look, you guys have been going a lot. It's time to just slip away and, and rest. And so that's a part of growth. And so to be strong requires discipline and exercise. Then he says the second thing, they abide in the word. Oh, I, I can tell you there is no more important discipline, in my opinion, in your relationship with God than to be in the word every day. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scriptures inspired by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Again, 1 Peter 2.2, 2, As a newborn baby longs for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. John 8, Jesus said, And the truth will set you free. Beloved, it's in this book. It's God's inspired word. It speaks to your spirit. It's food for your soul. It teaches you about God. It teaches you about the gospel. It teaches you about Jesus. It teaches you about who you are in Christ. It teaches you how to take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. Because the enemy comes in and he tries to feed you lies and condemnation. You need to stand on the word. The word fuels your faith. The word teaches you about parenting and marriage and sexuality and everything we need for life and godliness. We've got to be people of the word. Psalm 1 says, the person who meditates on the word day and night is like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and whatever he does prospers. In Joshua 1, he says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have success. And so a spiritual young man is a person who abides in the word. They remain in the word. They're in the Word when they don't feel like it. They're in the Word when they need guidance. They're in the Word when they're doing well. They're in the Word when they're not doing well. They are in the Word. So important that we be people of the Word. And then thirdly, he says of the young man, they have overcome the evil one. Mm, now we get into spiritual warfare. The enemy will come after you the more you're a threat to him. Now what is so important at this stage is that if you don't know that your sins are forgiven, if you don't know God is your Father, if you're not abiding in the Word, and if you're not strong by spiritual exercise, you will not be able to overcome the evil one. And so this shows again how much these stages, one builds on another, builds on another. You don't leave any of these things. You continually go back. Because the Bible says that Satan attacks, and one of the primary ways he attacks is to bring shame and condemnation and false guilt on you. That's why you go back to what you knew as a child. Your sins are forgiven. You are in the righteousness of Jesus. You have a new nature. You stand on that. You understand that because of your position in Christ, you have authority over the evil one. Luke 10 says, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And then in James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So the way you overcome the evil one is standing in the victory that Christ won for you and the authority you have in Jesus' name. So you see here how these principles, they are so one is so important for the next and for the next. If you have not been grounded in your sins forgiven, your identity in Christ, 
And if you're not abiding in the word, and if you're not exercising spiritually, then you will not be able to overcome the evil one. And so each of these are so important. And this will help you progress because I'm telling you, just like Jesus, who came under attack, just like the early church that came under attack, we are in a spiritual battle. If you don't believe me, then your head is in the sand and you have no clue what's going on because the battle is intensifying. And it is so important that believers know who they are and know who God is and know the victory that Christ won for us because that's the, the, the victory that you enforce in winning the spiritual battle in your life. Now, there's a very interesting passage in John chapter 16 that fits so well this passage today in 1 John 2. In John 16, it says that there are three convictions that the Holy Spirit brings on a person. Remember Jesus said in John 16, he's teaching his disciples about the Holy Spirit. And he said the Holy Spirit comes to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Mm, fits perfect with our discussion today. He convicts of sin in order to lead you to salvation. He convicts you of sin to bring you to how the only way to be forgiven of that sin is through the cross of Jesus. So he convicts you of sin to convert you. Once you're converted, it says he convicts you of what? Righteousness. That you are righteous in Christ. That's the child. That's the spiritual child. Knows their sins are forgiven. Then it says he convicts you of judgment. You say future judgment? No. It says in the next verse what it is that the ruler of this world has been judged. In other words, he convinces you that Satan is defeated and you have victory in Christ. It fits what we're looking at today perfectly. He convicts you of sin to convert you. Once you're converted, he convicts you of righteousness, that you're righteous in Christ. Then he convicts you of judgment that Satan's defeated, you're on the winning team, and you can have victory in Jesus' name. What an awesome way to take 1 John 2, connect it with John 16, and they fit perfectly. All right, now we reach the adult stage. Now we go to what it means to be a spiritual adult. Now, he could have just said spiritual adult. But he said, Father. I write to you fathers. Why did he say that? Because to be a father, you have to what? Have children. I was a husband for four years before I became a father. When Catherine was born, I became a father. And so I believe that the first thing that we learn about being a spiritual adult is you have children, spiritual children. In other words, you, you're leading people to Christ or you're discipling somebody. So maybe you don't personally see a person get saved, but you're willing to take somebody under your wing and help them grow. You're becoming a spiritual father by helping somebody else grow. And I can tell you in the spiritual, it's very much like the physical. I never became more dependent on God than after I had a kid. Fathers in the room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They don't come with instruction manuals. And I'm like, oh my goodness, Catherine's in the, in the world. What in the world am I going to do? I had no clue. I had no clue. I started reading books. I started listening to podcast. I started watching videos. I started talking to other fathers because I just felt absolutely clueless and unprepared. And it made me go to my knees like never before. Well, guess what? It's the same thing spiritually. When you start helping somebody grow, you feel so inadequate. You don't feel like you're qualified at all. But guess what? You are because Christ lives in you, the hope of glory. 
And when you begin to help another grow, man, I'll tell you, it accelerates your own growth. You, you want to see your growth accelerate? Start discipling somebody. Because it will make you go to God like never before. You're all of a sudden like, you know what? I'm telling them to spend time in the Word. I haven't spent time in the Word in three days. I might better spend time in the Word. Because <laughs> I need to have something to bring to them when we meet. And so it just forces you to dig deeper and go deeper into God. So that's the first thing, is that you have children. And then finally, and I love this phrase. I spent years meditating on this. Matter of fact, this passage that I'm preaching on today was what my doctoral dissertation was on. It's one of my favorite passages in all of God's Word. And this little phrase I had to think about and study and read others about. I was like, what does it mean, knows him who has been from the beginning? Twice he says that. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And by the way, this is another perfect tense in the Greek. So you know him in the past, and you know him in the present, and you'll know him in the future. It's a past action with ongoing present effects. Here's what I think it means. I think it means that you understand the nature of God in a deep, abiding way. You understand that he's been from the beginning. We saw that earlier in 1 John, Jesus Christ from the beginning, that God is from eternity past to eternity future. You also know that the same God that has worked in Genesis all the way to Revelation is the same God that is alive in you. But I think also it means that you have experienced God in your life on multiple levels in multiple situations when it's gone well and when it's gone bad. You have been mature. You're that oak tree with deep roots. You're that oak tree that when the storms come, you're not blown over. You're that house built on the rock. This is that seasoned, mature veteran of the faith that has walked with God for years through the good, through the bad, through the cancers, through the deaths, through the head-on collisions, through the losses, through the, the having a lot of money and not having any money. It's that person who has just stayed abiding in God. They've seen God be faithful in their life, but man, there have been setbacks. There have been hardships, but all along the way, I'm not going to let you go, God. I'm holding fast to you. This is that seasoned veteran of the faith who knows him who is from the beginning. Even though things may happen that shake you to the core, even though things happen that make you even question God, you say, God, I trust who you are. God, I trust that you are sovereign. I'm going to hold fast to you. And you see God come through. You're like Peter that when everyone else turned away, he said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You're like Job when he lost practically everything. And he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he fell down and he worshiped. You're like Joseph that had one bad thing happen in his life after another. But in Genesis 50, 20, he says what man meant for evil, God works for good. You're like David when often he felt forsaken by God, his enemy was prospering, but he kept praising and he kept trusting. And he said, yet, yet, yet will I trust you, Lord. You're like Habakkuk in Habakkuk 3 when it says, though the fig tree doesn't blossom, and though there be the fields produce no food, and there's no cattle in the stalls, yet will I trust in the name of my God. 
You're like Asaph in Psalm 73 when he says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And you're like Paul when he says, I have run the race and I have finished the course. And even though I was struck down, I was not destroyed. And even though I was persecuted, I was not abandoned. Beloved, this is that level of maturity that no matter what happens, no matter how you feel, no matter how bad the circumstances get, no matter how others treat you or mistreat you, you know who God is and you trust him and you cling to him and you hold fast to him. That's the spiritual adult. John 16 and 33, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Are you going to reach that spiritual adult stage? Well, I want you to hear now from somebody who has a very encouraging testimony about her own growth. So Stephanie, if you'd come now. I trust the one who's in control of it. And it's the 
and can repeat if we have this element of fairness. In all of these modules and through all of these topics, we learn more and more of the character of God, of who he is and how he thinks and feels about us and his children. This is the information that changes my life again and again every single day, because I am coming to know him who is from the beginning, and I'm learning that in all areas of my life, who he is is enough. Amen. Wow. All right, so let's review what we've learned today. Where are you at? Are you a spiritual child? Are you a spiritual young adult? Are you a spiritual adult? Now listen, the beginning point is being born again. <laughs> if you're not saved, if you're not born again, if you don't have Christ in your life, then none of this other stuff's going to happen. So if there is any doubt at all in your mind today, whether you're truly saved, get that settled. It's okay to pray a prayer to make sure. Listen, I got saved my senior year in high school, but my freshman year at Georgia, I just began to doubt my salvation. I don't know all the reasons why. And I remember I was in Creswell dorm room 620. And I knelt down beside my bed, and I took that little track, would you like to know God personally? And I prayed that prayer again just to make sure. And I wrote that date in my Bible. And I'll tell you what, I have not had any doubt ever since. Because I began to grow. And I began to understand that the way you know that you're saved is because 1 John 5 says, If you have the Son, you have eternal life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. And somebody said, David, how do you know Christ came into your life? And I finally said, because he said right here he would. And I'm trusting his word. And I've had assurance of salvation ever since. So if you don't have that assurance, nail the stake in the ground. Make sure you've invited Christ in your life. It's simply just saying, Christ, come into my life. Take control. Forgive me of my sins. And at that moment, the Bible says, you're born again. Maybe you're a spiritual child. That's great. That's awesome. Enjoy that stage. Go beyond that stage. So today is just a good day to kind of evaluate where you're at. What is God saying to you today that you need to do to get beyond where you're at and to keep growing? And never forget that those foundational truths, you never leave those. You keep building on those. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and praise you that you call us into relationship with you. We thank you that Jesus fully paid for our sins at the cross. We are not saved by works. We're not saved by going to church. We're not saved by trying hard. We're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. So right now, if you have any doubt of your salvation, pray this right now. Lord Jesus, I invite you to come into my life. I trust in what you did on the cross to forgive me of my sins. I surrender my life to you. I invite you to come in and take control. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. If you prayed that prayer from your heart, I encourage you to let somebody know today. Let me know. Go to the app under register and you can indicate that you received Christ. And now if you are born again, just take a moment. And let the Lord just search your heart. Where are you? Do you want to grow? Do you want to go deeper? 
Do you want to mature? Just tell the Lord right now your heart, your desire. And ask Him to fill you with His Holy Spirit. We cannot grow without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So every day we need to say, Holy Spirit, fill me, baptize me, control me, anoint me. I yield to your power. We praise you, Lord. We bless you. And I pray that from this message, much growth will occur. Many disciples will be made for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.